This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Do you remember the TV show The Nanny with Fran Drescher? I hadn't thought about it for a long time until my last interview with Dr. David Slicky when he brought it up as an example of prime Jewish humor. Dr. Slicky is back on the show today, and we're going to focus on Jewish sitcoms. Just to remind you, Dr. David Slicky is Associate Professor of Australian Center for Jewish Civilization, Monash University. He's also an expert on 20th century Jewish history and popular culture. And by popular culture, I take it we are uh, including Jewish humor. Uh, Dr. Slicky, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Dr. Sticky, I hadn't thought about Brian Drescher and the nanny until you'd mentioned her. And then I think a whole lot of people went back to relook at uh, her, her humor. And it did get me thinking about Jewish. Is there such a thing as a Jewish sitcom? Oh, certainly. I mean, there's sitcoms with distinctly Jewish characters and storylines. And there's sitcoms that the Jewishness is a little more played down, maybe but that has a very distinctive Jewish flavor or sensibility, or in Yiddish we would say tam. Tam literally means flavor, but it's kind of, you know, it's something a little more than that. Your your listeners can't say I'm sort of gesturing to to get that point across a bit more. But so, you know, there, there's things that we can think of as more obviously Jewish. So the nanny, as you mentioned, is a really good example where the character is just outrageously Jewish, nothing's hidden, nothing's in the background. It's like a central part of the story and the humour is her Jewishness and the style of Jewish humour that underpins it. But then you have sitcoms like, you know, and in that era there's just a whole array of Jewish sitcoms like Seinfeld, which is outwardly Jewish, but also the Jewishness is a little more underplayed than with The Nanny. You know, Seinfeld is recognizably Jewish and that fact isn't hidden but the other characters outwardly Jewish and in fact they're outwardly not Jewish so George uh, Elaine and Kramer are all not Jewish in the series but there's an argument to be made for each of them that they're actually secretly or coded Jewish so that audiences recognize the Jewishness that underpins them so George more than any of them is this kind of neurotic schlemiel type character. Elaine is coded Jewish in particular ways, like the actor who plays her, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, is Jewish. And, you know, she has a Jewish look about her with kind of curly or wavy long black hair, which is kind of against the type in a lot of ways in sitcoms where you have like very kind of, you know, all-American sort of blonde women often in the in the main roles. And, you know, Elaine is a kind of contrast to that. And Kramer is based on Larry David's neighbour, Kenny Kramer, who was Jewish. So there are ways that we could read Jewishness into each of them. And certainly there's a kind of Jewish rhythm, a kind of Jewish, I would say almost Talmudic way of looking at the world that Jerry and his creator, Larry David, bring to the world. The whole idea about the show about nothing, Seinfeld is not really a show about nothing. It's a show actually about everything, I would say. It's the opposite, right? It's about, but it's about all the little minutiae and it's about passing what are the rules and conventions and how do we interact with each other. And it's really about like 
investigating this in such an intricate and argumentative way that, you know, I always think like you could put those guys as Talmudic scholars of the fourth century and they would fit in in certain ways. To me, Seinfeld is, I, I mean, Seinfeld's one of the most important Jewish sitcoms. It's one of the most important television series, full stop. Um, but in terms of sort of bringing Jewishness and, and certainly a Jewish sensibility, like we never really see Jewish rituals. Jerry almost never dates Jewish women, except for one episode uh, in which he dates a Jewish woman, but and they make out in a uh, screening of Schindler's List. And that's, you know, part of the joke is that it, it's with a Jewish woman that he sort of transgresses these boundaries. Um, but, you know, that's part of this story also that, you know, it, the, the, the producers at NBC worried or the executives at NBC, the network that it aired on worried that it would be too Jewish. Like they originally said it wouldn't work because it would be too Jewish. Like how could someone in Iowa connect to these upper West side New York Jews? So they had to like tone down the Jewishness, but for Jewish audiences, it's patently obvious that this is a Jewish sitcom. And in a way, I think it sort of helps solidify acceptance of a certain kind of Jewishness in American life. Another example from that era is Friends, which most people don't think of as very Jewish. And, you know, surprisingly, three of the six main characters in Friends are Jewish. That is Ross and Monica and Rachel is Jewish. And you know, I've been teaching about this stuff for, for quite a long time and students almost uniformly say, I didn't know Rachel was Jewish. Like they know that Ross and Monica are Jewish and that's partly because there are Hanukkah themed episodes and partly because Ross kind of also embodies this classic Schlemiel character that they recognize from George Costanza, from Woody Allen. Um, but Rachel is a bit more baffling to people, and that's because she embodies this old stereotype, and it's kind of an offensive, well, it is an offensive stereotype of the Jap or the Jewish American princess, kind of materialistic, um, in some ways hypersexualized, uh, vacuous, and, you know, she grows out of that, like that's part of her story arc. But there's sort of clues to that dropped throughout, including her name, which is recognizably Jewish, Rachel Green. But the Jewishness of the Friends characters is very muted. It's not out there in the way that it is, even in Seinfeld, where I think it's already fairly muted, certainly nothing like the nanny. You know, they're, they're have a single Jewish parent. They don't date other Jews. It's never really, they never really talk about their Jewishness. It just kind of sneaks in, in, in certain ways, interestingly. So like they're fully assimilated Jews, right? We never see Jewish rituals or anything like that in, in friends. And so that's kind of an interesting representation, but like because of Seinfeld, because of, uh, the nanny, like those series, I think in particular, what we do get in the 2000s is just this spate of Jewish sitcoms, like sitcoms with recognizably Jewish characters who perform Jewish rituals, who litter their speech with Yiddishisms, who talk about being Jewish, right? It's not, not even a secret anymore. And particularly, I would say in the last five to eight years, shows like Transparent, uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, 
the musical one, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. There's just tons. And, like, Jewishness is just a fact of life in these sitcoms now, which probably would, might not have been possible before the nanny or Seinfeld kind of introduce it in this sort of safe way. What I found so interesting the last time we spoke is that you, you kind of spoke about Jewish humor and how it evolved through the years and how it was reflected Jewish space and place in America. Do they parallel that kind of movement? When Seinfeld hits the air, it's really rare to see like a distinctive outward form of Jewish comedy on TV. In films, it's a bit different because you've had like Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and Woody Allen's a complicated person to talk about um, because of his like very checkered, creepy past and at worst criminal past. Um, but they are like two of the most significant filmmakers in the second half of the 20th century in America. And so like Jewishness on screen writ large is pretty prevalent, but film and TV are different media. Film is like an sort of something you do actively go out, you pay your money, you buy your popcorn and choc tops and you know it's an active decision and different cinemas will show different things depending on which part of the country you're and it's not the same things that show in um, a manhattan cinema aren't necessarily going to be showing in that same chain in iowa tv is a different kettle of fish though because tv comes into your home and tv is something you do as a family and it's intimate and it's a little bit dangerous and subversive because you're doing it in your own home. When Seinfeld on a major national network starts bringing this kind of humor into places that people didn't know of Jews, they didn't know from what Jewish was in that time. Like they're not the ones who had been going to Woody Allen movies to see the nebishy kind of Schlemiel character. So these were kind of new characters. So I like one thing that makes sense to me is you kind of tread lightly. Like there's a reason Seinfeld didn't come out. Like take Kerber Enthusiasm. It's the kind of, kind of in a way the successor series to Seinfeld. It's Larry David's post Seinfeld project. It's about to have a, I think it's a, it's 11th season. And you know, there's nothing hidden about the Jewishness. It's kind of like Seinfeld but a no-holds-barred version of Seinfeld, right? All the kind of things you think they probably would have wanted to do on a network, they can do on cable because there's not the same kind of limitations on HBO, which is the network, is the cable channel it screens on, compared to like a free-to-air network like NBC, which relies on advertising dollars and and different kinds of commercial uh, imperatives. For Curb, like the Jewishness is plain to see as well again it's not like religious rituals although they come up my students and i watched an episode of curb this semester where larry goes to a bat mitzvah and so there's this storyline surrounding you know the fact that he says very inappropriate things at the bat mitzvah for seinfeld well seinfeld has an episode about a bar mitzvah too actually um but showing jewish rituals showing like a thick jewishness wasn't really seen as a winner, like to attract a broad audience in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, belatedly, TV reflects that same arc where Jews are kind of hidden and and eventually come to public prominence. But the impact, I would argue, is much greater because television has a much wider reach. You know, when Seinfeld was at its peak, 20 million people were tuning in 
on a Thursday night, Thursday or Wednesday night at exactly the same time. Like those kind of numbers today for TV ratings are crazy. Like nothing, like the Super Bowl gets numbers akin to that, but nothing else. Like no sitcom would get 20 million viewers because everything's more fragmented with the streaming era. So Seinfeld was a massive um, innovation. I was going to ask you, you also about, you spoke about Jewish sitcoms and Jewish actors and we, we don't have much time, but maybe we can talk for one minute or two just about Jewish stereotypes. You mentioned the Jack earlier, but then you have to think of something like Will and Grace. And to what extent are they challenging or reinforcing Jewish so-called stereotypes? Yeah, I like Will and Grace. I mean, I like it because I think it's funny. One of the things I think is interesting about Grace is, and I think, um, Deborah Messing, probably in a lot of her roles. And I think this is true of Julia Louis-Dreyfus on Seinfeld too, by the way. And it's true of like, probably the original person who did this was, um, on Saturday Night Live. And now again, her name's just escaped me. Um, in the 1980s, the actor on Saturday Night Live. And now I'm going to feel really embarrassed when this goes to air and I haven't remembered. But like one thing that Deborah Messing does really well on Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like they're quite good. They, they're quite goofy, like they bring this goofiness. And in a kind of, and Fran Drescher does this too, in a kind of Lucille Ball fashion, you know, like they're not, they're like all very beautiful women who, but who are like, you know, that that's not a barrier to being funny. And I think that's, um, that in a way does challenge the Jap stereotype because like the notion of the Jap is about being like not classy, but certainly kind of well put together and, and taking yourself too seriously in a way. And they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and they're not super materialistic and stuff like that. So Grace is in some ways though, Grace does like embody a certain kind of heteronormative, like Jewish woman who, even though her best friend and, and housemate or roommate is a gay man, like she's constantly on the quest to marry, right? Like this is a big preoccupation of the whole series that she's unfulfilled until she is partnered. I think this is like, this also speaks something about sitcoms generally, right? Like it's a very, it's a quite a conservative medium, the sit. Like for all the reason I mentioned earlier, they rely on advertising dollars. They have to reach viewers in New York and LA, but also in Iowa. And they have this principle called the least offensive principle where they have to be as inoffensive to as many people as possible. And so, you know, like Will and Grace um, pushes certain boundaries, like it it has a gay protagonist. That's pretty out there when it comes out in the mid-90s. At the same time, like the central storyline, the other protagonist is a straight woman who, like, still is desperate to get a job, <laughs> A husband. She has a job. She's desperate to get a husband. It's still, you know, like celebrates a certain kind of America, like a certain kind of America where like upward mobility is a thing that is prized and celebrated. There's still a certain version of the American dream. It's very white still. And so, you know, like I don't want to overstate the case about the power of sitcoms either because they are still at their heart like quite conservative because of the commercial imperatives. But, you know, like I think that some of these are good examples of the ways that they kind of push boundaries in safe ways and really like move the needle in meaningful ways. And they set things up for what can come later. So like Broad City, 
this sitcom about two millennial Jewish women in New York who are just like outrageous and really like, I, I mean, really powerfully subvert the Jap stereotype. That's not possible without Seinfeld and without the nanny and probably not without Will and Grace and not without Sex and the City. You know, like these things build towards that. Dr. Slicky, I can't believe we are out of time and we haven't even spoken about um, <laughs> Big Bang Theory, My Favourite, My and Alex, Sex and the City. I feel like I do this to you at the end of each show. Could you please come back in a month's time and um, maybe we can, can continue like modern sitcom and also like, I'd also like to know about Jews in film and Crossing Delancey, but we really have to end here. So can I have you back like lot? Yes, you, I, I'm happy to keep coming back. This is, as, as you can hear this, like, I, I'll talk about this all night if you give me the chance. So I feel like in the absence of being a student in your class, this is the best I can, the closest I can get to learning from you. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, we'll be in touch again for about a month's time. Terrific. Thank you very much. That was Dr. David Slucky, Associate Professor, Australian Centre for Jewish Civilization, Monash University.